Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, welcome to this very special edition of Spin the Rally Pod Now. Those of you who are regular Dirtfish viewers, listeners, readers, will know that I have a special passion for rallying down under in Australia, and in particular the Targa series. If you don't know what the Targa series is, just have a little look at it on on Facebook, on YouTube. It's a fantastic series of tarmac rallies. They're not essentially rally cars, they're road cars with the you know, required safety equipment on them. Target Tasmania is the standout event. That's the one that kicked off the whole series. But they have events in northern Queensland in Cairns. And the one that I was at at the weekend was in the high country of Victoria, which is around about three hours, three and a half hours to the east of Melbourne. It was a fantastic event, three-day event, around about 300-odd competitive kilometres over 200 cars as well, incredibly well supported. Uh, and I have to say, having missed so many events because of COVID, it was just great to be back there to catch up with old friends and, and to make lots of new friends. Um, but the story of the weekend, the story of the weekend had to be our Targa High Country winner. Uh, you know, it's a great story. And I'm very, very pleased that Jeff can join us today. Jeff, uh, you're fantastic to have you on Spin the Rally Pod today. It was quite some weekend for you, wasn't it? It was, Colin. Uh, I guess it was the culmination for me of uh, a, a lot of effort over some recent years, and but also for me the first time to be able to have the new car at Targa High Country. Yeah, it was. Uh, a- and, and particularly the Mount Buller stage, yeah. Yeah, it was a magnificent car that you were in. It really was. Tell me a little bit about the car you were driving. So it's a 2019 Porsche GT2 RS. Uh, At the time when I bought it, uh, it was the first GT2 RS tarmac rally car in Australia. Uh, Since I've had it, I think there's at least another one getting around now. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible car. Uh, It's very, very close to stock. Uh, The only thing that I have done to it is put some suspension in it. Wow. And, and you, know, you know a bit more about the regulations. In fact, you know an awful lot more about the regulations than I do, Jeff. But that's what, what Targa rallying is all about, isn't it? It's, it's, it's more or less stock cars. And that's why we see you know, Porsches, we see Lotuses, we see the odd Viper and Lamborghini around. It's, it's more or less stock cars that take part in Targa with the roll cages in them. That's the intention. Uh, I think the reality is is probably a little bit different to that. Uh, what I would say, though, is that my car, by far and away, would be the closest to stock of any of the front runners, for wow. sure. Wow, wow, wow. It, and quite some machine. But that 2RS, though, it's a special machine, isn't it? It's, it's, there's some power. It's got some ability. Yeah, well, I think the whole thing uh, for me was I didn't want to have any concerns over reliability. Uh, so I wanted to keep the car as close to stock as possible. And you can't really start with a better car yeah. than a GT2 RS. Absolutely. And, and you know what? We obviously have had some regulation changes since, uh, you know, the tragic events of Target Tasmania last year. Some recommendations to, to help in terms of safety. And one of those recommendations was a maximum speed of 200 kilometers an hour. Now, in the past, we did see the big, powerful Vipers making the, the most of their straight line speed. You know, it, it really means with this 200 kilometer an hour limit now, in terms of the car that you choose, you've got a bigger choice, haven't you? Because you've got to look at the nimble uh, cars that are more capable, I suppose, of, of getting 
to those speeds quicker uh, and getting around the corners quicker. And it looks like maybe, maybe yours is the one to have. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah. I know that the, the Viper has a huge amount of a downforce advantage. Yeah. For us, uh, the big advantage of our car is the top speed. So we're actually faster than the Viper uh, in top speed. Uh, and I would, I would say um, the new regulations probably favour uh, a car that, like you say, is, is more nimble uh, and faster to get to 200. Something like uh, some of these uh targa lotus gts which uh, you know they're able to do with a sequential box and quite a fair bit of modification compared to what the standard lotus exige is that you would get uh but the the big weakness of those cars has always been their lack of stability at high speed so mm. if you're not going to those super high speeds uh, and i mean 200 is obviously still fast but uh in the past we've seen speeds uh closer to a three in front of them, you know, in the faster sections uh, of um, some of the target Tasmania stages. Uh, and so, yeah, 200 is, is very manageable for all of these, um, you know, cars that are at the front of the field. Yeah, I, I think it's going to make it really interesting, uh, particularly at Target Tasmania in, in uh, what, six or so weeks' time, just to see how, how these regulations do affect uh, particularly the cars that we've always anticipated would go well. But we'll look forward to that, Jeff. But as I said, you know, the story of the weekend is your journey. And we we, um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but, you know, you're, you're relatively new to rallying. And, and rallying came out of a real struggle for you. T take us back 11 years, 12 years, Jeff. Um, and, uh, you know, the diagnosis that you were given at the time. Yeah, so... Uh, just to sort of have a bit of context, uh, I was 30 years old, uh, married, had uh, a five-month-old daughter. Actually, I just turned 30 uh, and was on the way home from visiting my family in Queensland, uh, driving down the highway and had a, a big car accident. Uh, I couldn't remember anything about it. My wife was asleep. Uh, our young daughter in the back, uh, she, thankfully, she was okay. Uh, and we just sort of went on with life, uh, but my GP recommended to get some tests done just to see if there was anything that might be behind why I couldn't remember, uh, you know, the circumstances of the accident. Uh, and what came out of that was a big shock. Uh, one of the tests that I had done was an MR, a brain MRI and they found a big tumour. Wow. Uh, so uh, you can imagine uh, what that was like. Uh, my wife's father had died of brain cancer, um, you know, 10 or 15 years, uh, before that. And, uh, so that, that was very close to home for her. And then two days after the diagnosis, we found out that we were pregnant with our second child. So it was a big roller coaster, uh, of emotions that week. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, well, I, I I have to say, Jeff, it's it's you know the first time I've really talked to you about this. Very very similar to a situation I found myself in 12 years ago. I was diagnosed with with a head cancer 12 years ago, and my little one was uh, two and a half years old, and my son was three or four weeks old. It's just as you say, it's a horrible horrible shock, isn't it? Yeah, I think your whole you know your whole idea of what life is going to be is turned completely on its head. Um, yeah. You know, I knew that brain cancer is, everyone knows brain cancer is very serious. Uh, and, you know, for some people, uh, you know, they're literally looking at weeks or months to live. For other people, they have a better outcome. Um, but when you initially find out, you don't know what you're, you're dealing with, um, you know, and you, your mind tends to assume the worst. Every time, yeah. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember them very, very worrying, particularly. But it, it's terrifying because, as you say, you know, you, you, you've got a, a path that you're set on in life. You've got a family life that you're looking forward to. And then all of a sudden, uh, you, you, you do assume the worst and you assume it's all going to be taken away from you. But, but your story was a remarkably positive story. Not an easy time, though, through your treatment and, and then your uh, consequent recovery. No. Uh, so uh, initially, uh, I had some time off work um, when I had the operation uh, and, you know, I was able to get back to work 
uh, after a, a number of months. But the, the big problem for me was just the mental fatigue. And uh, I was running a, a, a successful business and I just wasn't capable of being able to perform at that level anymore. Uh, and, you know, not just for myself, but for my staff and, um, and for my home life, uh, I decided, you know, it was not something that uh, I could continue to do. So I had to find somebody to come in and take over uh, the running of that business, uh, which took a little bit of time, but managed to get that sorted. Uh, and then, um, uh, yeah, that was by that time, uh, you were sort of, we were sort of mid 2013. And that was, that was essentially when I stopped working for a living. So, you know, at that point, obviously, you know, when, 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 Anyone who's who's had any serious illness will know that he, you know, you, you can lose your 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 driving license. An awful lot that you lose your independence at times, but you're losing your driving license. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a consequence of of some serious illnesses, and you lost your driving license, didn't you? And it took you took you a long time and a lot of effort to get that back. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously, being a car enthusiast, the business that I was involved in. Um, was in the automotive industry you know it's a, it's been a passion of mine my whole life uh, and you know I was doing already doing stuff you know track days um, some um, uh, super sprints some little kind of tiny um, uh, road rally events not not anything like Targa but um, just more actually off off street events uh, and you know the thought of well, for me, just not being able to ever drive again uh, was frightening. You know, there was a period of time where uh, Fiona had to take me, you know, to and from work. Uh, and um, uh, even at the, um, by the time, uh, uh, you know, she, she gave birth with um, our second uh, child, uh, we had to get somebody to come and take us to the uh, hospital in the middle of the night uh, because I couldn't drive her. So, wow. uh, yeah, it took about a year to get uh, the road licence back, which is pretty standard in that sort of situation. Uh, and I was really thankful. Uh, there was some concern when I had the operation uh, that it was close to my motor strip so I could possibly be paralysed uh, on one half of my body. Uh, thankfully, that didn't happen, uh, but it did cause some significant deficits with um, uh you know, my speech area and, uh, and some other things that, uh, I'm still not the same as I was, uh, before that I've got some overarching, uh, deficits, but most people wouldn't notice. I don't think, you know, just in talking to me, uh, there's, I've got a heck of a scar on the, uh, in the shape of a J on the top of my head, but, uh, thankfully I've got a pretty good head of hair, so that's <laughs> not many people can see that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the bigger challenge, like I was, I was just thankful to be able to have a road license back. And there's a, there, there are certain things that you can do uh, that aren't competitive, but you can do track days. And, you know, uh, in the middle of that, uh, right before I got my diagnosis, actually, um, uh, I'd, I bought a car, a, a Red Lotus Elise, with the idea of building it up to do some, some competitive uh, um there was there was a series that I got involved in uh, that um, uh, you would have met uh, Anthony Moss on the weekend. Uh, he had a business at the time that was doing uh, a thing called the Dutton Rally. Actually, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, probably connected to the same Dutton group that um, now owns Targa. Uh, and the concept behind that was uh, a number of small little uh, kind of motor carnery kind of things, but uh, not anything on the road, but just little tests uh, over mm. a number of days. But you only got to do each uh, each event once. And I did it in 2008 uh, in the car that I had at the time, but I really fell in love with uh, this Lotus that I'd seen there that was doing well in the open competition. I thought, you know what, I want to I, I buy a Lotus and I want to turn it into a monster and I want to go back and try and win that event. <laughs> so I just bought the Lotus had all these plans to modify it and then bam, got the diagnosis. Mm. Uh, so uh, I decided to go ahead with, ahead with the build for it anyway, but I wasn't able to, uh, you know, drive it in, in the event. Um, but yeah, I was still, I was still able to take it to track days and so on. Uh, but really, uh, you know, that was good. I was happy to still be able to go and do that. 
But over time, I really wanted to try and get my, um, it was called at the time CAMS, it's now Motorsport Australia, but that competition license back. And that's a much bigger problem. Uh, you know, having a driver's license to go and drive on a road is seen as a, as a bit more of a, um, a necessity or, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas, uh, you know, having a competition license so that you can go and have fun and competing on racetracks is more of a luxury. And so it's much, much harder to get the clearance, uh, to go back and, and start competing again. And at the time I had to wait, I think it was five or six years post, uh, operation to even be in a position to be able to apply for it. But I had to get a lot of, uh, you know, medical reports and all of that sort of stuff organized, which that I mean, it should be that way. You don't want hmm. people going around doing high speed activities when, uh, you know, when it's not safe for them to do it. So I totally understand, but yeah, it was just a much, much longer wait, uh, to get that back. But did you see the challenge, the challenge of, of getting your competition license back in the first place and then building on your competition experience? Was that all part of your planned recovery to help you find some normality and to help, I suppose, move forward in terms of, as you, you talk about, the, uh, you know, the, the ongoing issues that you still struggle with? Was it all part of the process to help you get through you know, that difficult period? I think it was... Like, to be honest, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Uh, I thought that I'd never get my competition license back. Uh, but I was very dedicated towards documenting everything that I was doing uh, with my track days, with, you know, I was um, uh, doing hire cart stuff here. Like anything that you could do with a road license um, that proved that I was capable and safe and, you know, I didn't have any incidences or anything like that. Like I wanted to keep a track of all of that just to kind of build an evidence base because I was really focused on trying to uh, be able to compete again. That's, you know, I think if you're an entrepreneur, uh, then you're probably a natural competitor. And I definitely see that, you know, people would probably, some people would say I'm hyper competitive, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, that's just how I'm built. So I think if I've got a goal um, and at that time, you know, one of my goals was I want to be able to get my motorsport license back. Uh, then I was, you know, looking at every which way I could try and swing that advantage in my favour. So when you did get that licence back, and as you say, it was quite some effort to get it back, a target obviously appealed to you. But, but strangely, strangely, you decided to start in TSD, which I have to say, you know, I've been around target for three or four years now. I still can't get my head around it. Your time, speed and distance, regularity rallying, how yeah. these guys do what they do is beyond me. And that was your first effort in Targa, which you didn't do badly in. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't understand it when <laughs> when we got there either. Uh, but the reality was I only got my license back, I think, two months before uh, Targa High Country was going to happen. And the car that I had at the time, uh, we hadn't built it with the intention of ever doing anything like that. So uh, it had been modified uh, in a way where the battery was put into the, um, into the cabin and like it didn't have a cage or anything like that. And so the only option for me was TSD because you can do that without having a cage in the car. Uh, so I was just keen to do anything that I could uh, and I decided to go and do TSD. Um, the first half of day one, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, we managed to work it out a bit more and understand, okay, this is what we need to do. And from that point forward, uh, being the, you know, the focused person that I am, we were clawing our way back. And I think we ended up in third, uh, which was an incredible result. There was a whole bunch of Lotuses there that weekend, and we were the only ones on the podium. Wow. Wow. It is phenomenal because you, you go through it. And as I say, hats off the TSD guys. You know, they are, they are speed limited, and that's why obviously TSD don't need the cage. Um, but they'll drive. 20, 30, 40 kilometer stages, and they will hit that finishing line within tenths of a second. That's right. That's what it's all track. about. Yeah, and you and have it, to calculate the time to hit the finish line. You know, you, you can't go balls out for the first, you know, 45 kilometers of a 46 kilometer stage and then sit and wait for your time. You, you have to judge it, don't you? Because you can't go less than 30, you can't go more than 130 yeah. kilometers an hour. It is, it is a computation 
beyond anything that my brain is capable of. <laughs> yeah, you have to have a plan for where you're going to be at certain points during the stage and how you're going to manage the last kilometer and so on. Like the general idea is you want to get to one kilometer to go with 60 seconds to go and then you can do 63 to the finish. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, I, yeah. I, I do. And, and to, to manage a podium on that first outing was incredible. But that really did give you, I suppose, a, a good taste of what to expect in Target. But you wanted more after that, Jeff, didn't you? You're limiting 130 and, and TSD, a little bit too much, um, perhaps, of the, uh, you know, maybe maybe too much of the, the, the limited. And you moved on from there, didn't you? Well, I loved doing Targets. The thing that I didn't like was the TSD part of it. I liked, um, but for my for the car that I had, uh, it just had so much performance over the top uh, that driving the stages was not a, a challenge at all. It was all about the maths, and I wanted to test, you know, how quick I could go, uh, trying to drive as fast as I could, um, and I was happy to do it with a 130 limit. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, match myself up and see how I would go against other competitors in that 130 class, which is GT Sports Trophy. So uh, I decided right then that the car that I had uh, was not the, and I was advised also by uh, Lee from Simply Sports Cars, who's they're now the Lotus distributor in Australia, uh, that that was not the good best car to start with and I'd be better off starting with um, an Exige. So I bought a, an Exige and we built it from the beginning to to be a tarmac rally car so it had a full cage and all of that sort of stuff in it wow and, and how long did you do that for jeff was that a couple of years you were doing the sports trophy no so i went to i did target high country in 2016 and then in 20 the next event was target tasmania in 2017 uh and i went and did sports trophy there uh and i only did uh that speed limited class once, but right. I won that by 10 minutes. So uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, if, if I won that by 10 minutes, then, and that was also my first time ever on pace notes. Wow. So you don't need pace notes for, for TSD, but you certainly need them for sports trophy. Uh, and yeah, I learned a lot there about, uh, you know, that was an insight into an aspect of uh, driving that, I'd not seen before because most mm. of my background was on the circuit and you're doing that by yourself. So to have somebody in the car with you, uh, you know, and calling the notes to you, uh, if they're, if they're good at what they're doing, then it becomes a, uh, get in this state of flow where you're sort of in, in lock with each other and you're just fully tuned in. And it's, it's a, it's hard to describe to somebody who hasn't experienced that. Uh, but for anyone, that has experienced that they'll know what I'm talking about. It's you're like having the the best time of your life and you're in a, in a car with somebody else that you're able to share the experience with. And then you get to the end of the stage and both just look at each other and yeah. Yeah, wasn't that great. Yeah, no, I think we saw some of that at the weekend. We'll go back a little bit shortly, but we saw some of that at the weekend, particularly I think when you watch your onboards through the, uh, the Jamison stage, which is, it's quite a technical stage, isn't it? There's a lot of corners and it's the kind of stage that where you, you find that rhythm and you find that synergy with the pace notes that it just does flow. And you can see that on your onboards. The car is just going corner to corner. The notes are coming out and you're, you're, the line is perfect. Uh, it, it is a very special place to find yourself and when you find uh, that perfect synergy. Yeah, I think they call it flow. Um, yeah. Uh, that you know when you're in that state and it, it's it's it can be challenging in a rally car to get into that state because there's plenty of other things to distract you um you know if you make a little error or there was a um something that frustrated you about a particular corner or you just got to get that out of your mind yeah. uh and partic particularly on the longer stages like these stages can be 25 or 30 minutes long uh, and there's just so many corners, uh, and, you know, yes, we have air conditioning, uh, in the car. Um, but what happens when the windows are up and you're using full throttle a lot, it doesn't, it doesn't work and it cuts out. Yeah. So you get quite hot and sweaty. Uh, and you know, eventually the, the fatigue can, can, 
uh, set in. And that, particularly on the longer stages, that happens. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I've, I've tried to do everything that I can to prepare myself as best as possible uh, for that scenario. And that, that's why I took up cycling a few years ago, because I could see that having that sort of endurance uh, aspect and, you know, ability to cope with, um, you know, high heart rate for a long period of time, you know, might be a benefit for me in, in my rallying. And that's definitely proved to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, Jeff, because, you know, I was talking to, uh, uh, to Ben, Ben, who uh, we work with that produces the wonderful TV programs from Targa and Ben himself is a very fit boy, but he said, you're probably the fittest competitor in Targa. Um, again, the feeling I get from talking to you is that you are very, very focused on whatever you choose to do in life. And, and if, something benefits you then you know you you'll go for it with with an absolute zealousness and it sounds to me as if maybe maybe that's where the fitness things come from yeah i i decided to take up cycling in 2018 uh one like part of it for the mental health but also to get a bit fitter but a big part of the motivation was certainly because uh, at that stage you know i was starting to really focus in on the the tarmac rallying and i thought well if i can if that can help me uh, there, then that would be great as well. And, you know, like anything in life, when you get focused on something, it can become a bit of an obsession. And, uh, last year I did 13,000 kilometers on my road bike, well, combination of indoor and outdoor on my road bike. Uh, and I probably took it a little bit too far, but I certainly got to a point where I think I'm the fittest that I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Well, and as you say, you know, Sunday coming through those two long stages, uh, Jamison and then what do they call it when they reverse it? I forgot. Eildon. Eildon. You know, yeah. it was it was 32, 33 degrees uh, in the shade. So, mm. you know, that, that extra bit of fitness, clearly, the, the, not bits, you know, that extra level of fit, fitness that you've achieved, uh, it definitely gives you a, an edge both mentally and physically, that's for sure. Um, but go go back to that 2018, because that's that's where, as you, as you say, you move from... GT Sports yet again within the target structure, didn't you? Yeah, so um, it was at 2017 uh, that they announced that they were bringing Rookie Rally back into Targa. Uh, and, uh, you know, being my first Targa Tasmania event, I didn't know that really Rocky, um, Rookie Rally even existed. But having watched some of the, the older videos that they've been releasing on YouTube of, you know, all the previous events, uh, it used to be a two-day event, so the first two days of Target Tasmania were Rookie Rally, um, but they announced that they were bringing it back for 2018, and it would be for the full event, like the whole six days, and the winner would get a free entry for the following year. Uh, the catch was that um, both the uh, the driver and also the navigator uh, um, couldn't have done Target Tasmania in open competition previously. Uh, and so what that meant was that uh, the navigator that I had uh, for 2017, uh, who, uh, it's a bit of a sad story, actually. He was um, one of the people that died last year uh, in, um, in Targa Taz. Uh, he wasn't going to be eligible because he was an extremely experienced navigator, which was part of the reason that I wanted to have him in the car with me so that I could you know, I don't want to be um, going to a situation where I'm learning and, and my navigator's learning. I wanted to um, be as safe as possible in the car, but I wanted to learn quickly as well. So I wanted to have someone in the car with me that was experienced, which Dennis was, uh, and he wasn't going to be eligible. So that meant that I needed to find somebody else to be a navigator. But that sounded like uh, that sounded to me like the perfect next step. Which was what then? Oh, you're still there? Yeah, I'm oh, still sorry. here. Sorry, mate. Sorry, I lost you for a second there. Yeah, so what was the next step? Well, the rookie rally in uh, Target Tasmania in 2018. So that was open competition, so no speed limit. But uh, you were kind of in your own separate category, which was other people who were competing in, in the rookie rally. In which car was that you were in that year, Jeff? Still in the Lotus. So, still in the Lotus, right. Yeah. So that, that, that Lotus... Um, I uh, can't remember who, I think it might have been Dennis and I when we were in uh, GT Sports Trophy, um, we named it White Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and it, and it, it, you know, it looked after you well, that car, didn't it? That's for sure. So you, you did progress through and, and, and you, know, you had these, these category wins in Targa. But clearly you were, you, know, you were on this path and you were heading for the top category and giving that a crack. So what was your first effort then at the, uh, the outright wins on Targa? Which event was that? Uh, so I did win the Rookie Rally in 2018. Uh, and then the next event after that was uh, Targa Great Barrier Reef, which was the very first Targa Great Barrier Reef in 2018. Uh, and uh, what happened? I, so uh, the relationship that I had with uh, the navigator for uh, Rookie Rally, he decided he wanted to go and do some driving instead of navving. So that wasn't going to continue anymore. Uh, and I had an opportunity to get uh, Cameron Reeves in the car with me. Uh, and I jumped at that. Uh, he's a really experienced navigator uh, and done lots and lots of uh, events, mo mostly Target Tasmania, but also lots of Target High Country and uh, probably a number of other events that I don't even know about. Uh, and he was available. So I thought, this is great. Um, I'm, you know, I really was keen to learn from somebody who was uh, at the front, you know, running at the front of the field just to see, uh, you know, what sort of things they might do differently compared to, uh, you know, what I would normally do. Um, and I'm still learning. I'm having not that many rallies in at this point. Uh, and so, yeah, to go and do that event with him, uh, I really, really learned a lot. Uh, and after that, um, uh, we ended up, we had a, a really, really close battle actually with uh, Paul Stokel, uh, who was also in a Lotus. Uh, we ended up coming third at that rally though. So I think he just pipped us for second. Um, uh, but yeah, that was a huge step forward. So at Target Tasmania, Paul finished something like, I don't know, eight minutes or something. I can't remember what the exact stats are. I remember it was just a world away from where we were. Uh, and then literally the next event, we were matching him, uh, which was, yeah, That's like cool. it was just a huge step forward. And our big, a big part of that was, uh, you know, uh, learning from uh, Cam and, uh, yeah. you know, the, the things that I was able to implement. Uh, I, I think it's not just about being a good, a good driver. No, but this um, is to, a question go... I've got, Jeff. This is a question that I've got. And it's as you're talking, I'm thinking it's, it isn't just about being a good driver. It's not just about having the best machinery. Um, there's obviously a huge amount that's gone into, uh, you know, refining your technique, refining your approach, refining your strategy for events. Um, and again, it, it kind of, it just to me demonstrates a really driven personality. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, well, actually we did, we did well here. We won this, but this is how we can do it better. And I'm going to find out how we can build it better still. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole process, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing, um, that you have to remember is, you know, a lot of the people that I'm competing against, they've been in the sport a lot longer than, than I am. And, and a huge part of going quickly is being able to build on your experience and your notes from year to year to year. I mean, it's the same in, in WRC, you know, uh, if people have done an event before, then they've got a starting point for their notes. They've probably got some in-car for their notes. Uh, and, you know, you go to Tassie and there's people who, a grew up in Tassie or B uh, have done the event 15 or 20 times. And it's very, very hard to go there. And they're, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, memorizing all the stages. I don't think anybody does that because that, that's a very dangerous thing to do, but just the familiarity with it uh, and being able to do the same event and build on your notes and have the in car and see it in a, you know, a whole different um, variety of conditions it's a huge part of being able to, uh, to go fast, you know, with, with confidence and with a degree of safety. So the thing, the thing, perhaps that the leveler was that this was the first ever event in Great Barrier Reef. So I was not as, uh, in a, as big a deficit from an experience point of view, even though 
from a, a rallying experience point of view, um, you know, I was still pretty green. I guess from the um, geographic point of view and, and the rally point of view, you know, that event had never run before. So that, that was a bit of a leveler. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you made the most of it. Um, but but let's fast forward then. I mean, your, it, it did give you obviously a great barrier. If, I suppose that bit of belief that you knew that you could, with a level playing field, compete with these guys. Uh, you'll talk to us a little bit, Jeff, about this weekend and the build-up to this weekend. Uh, and, and what were your expectations ahead of Targa High Country? You're, you must have known you had a very good chance of winning this one. Uh, I knew that we would be in the mix. I think with uh, any kind of a, a rally, uh, you know, a, lot, a big part of it's the mentor game. And you don't, I think it's very dangerous to go into an event uh, expecting to win or thinking about that you're going to win or you're going to podium or something like that. Uh, it's just, you just want to go in and take it as it comes, take each stage as it comes, and then ultimately every corner as it comes. And, uh, you know, that's all you can really do. The, the result will be the result. It's hard not to get affected by, you know, when you're in a competitive situation, if you're fighting with um, somebody else for a position, you know, you might have to decide to lift your level of risk a little bit um, with what you're going to do. Uh, but you don't want to do that if you don't have to, because, you know, obviously uh, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't finish. Uh, so, yeah, a big part of it is the mental game. I didn't really think about it too much. Uh, I just was really looking forward to being able to go there. We didn't get to go to the event the year before because, um, my co-driver Damon, he's from WA and they went into lockdown like the day before his flight left. And so I was stuck, couldn't go to the event, which was really sad because I've got this great car that I've had for a few years now um, and I haven't been able to go and do many events with it. Uh, so this was only the second Targa that I've actually done. Wow. I did Targa Tasmania last year and then Targa High Country uh, um, just now. Yeah, you mentioned Damon there. Um, you know, he, he's he's a great guy, isn't he? He's so enthusiastic about his job and what he does. Uh, you guys seem to work really, really well together, and that that is perhaps the most important synergy as driver and co-driver in rallying. You, you seem to have found a good bond there between the two of you. Yeah, um, I mean, we're not that close in terms of age. He's a fair bit younger than I am. Uh, but I th the thing that I really like about Damon is he's a hundred percent committed, uh, and he's willing to do, and, you know, obviously I'm committed, but his whole life is, is rallying. He comes from a, a rallying family in WA, uh, mostly grab, uh, pretty much gravel background. And, um, when I first met him, he hadn't done a tarmac rally, uh, or a proper one. I think he might've done, uh, some lower level competition in, in WA, like a more speed limited sort of thing or something, but nothing really that serious. Uh, and yeah, he, like, you know, you've got plenty of time to talk to people when you're in a car doing recce and, you know, you talk about all different sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I would always want to try and understand what, you know, other people's interests are and that sort of thing. And, and really like, his interest, his whole life is just rallying. Yeah. He doesn't no. have a, he doesn't have a whole lot going on apart and, and, from just rallying. And that's um, what you find that with 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 some of the the the, the real top level drivers and co-drivers is is you know I, you know I think to people like um, Yaimati Latvala you know that's all his life's ever been uh, you know rallying and you ask him about anything outside of rallying he struggles um, even uh, you know our boys in New Zealand oh his name's just eluded me I have these moments. Um, what's his name? New Zealand rally driver, won around the world championship. Hayden. Yes, how could I possibly? Apologies, Hayden, if you're listening. That's the first time I've had a brain fade on Hayden's name. Hayden's the same. Hayden grew up just with rallying in his blood and, and his only interest, the only thing he wanted to talk about, probably the only thing he actually could talk about was rallying. And, and, and it, you know, sometimes you think that's a bit sad, but other times you think, what? What an effort, you know, that's dedication for you. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with Damon, the, the thing that, that's really encouraging with Damon is that, that, you know, he's got a fantastic mentor, hasn't he? He, he works his job, his day-to-day -day job, 
is working with Glenn McNeil. Um, you know, he's one of the most experienced co-drivers, certainly uh, from this part of the world that we've seen in the World Rally Championship. So he's got all the right pointers and all the right help around him, hasn't he? Yeah, and his his dad was also a rally driver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think in a, like a factory Hyundai team at one point. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's a good lad. He's a good lad. So just you know, obviously it was it was a pretty dominant win at the weekend. I think you won all but one stage. Mm. But just talk to me about the emotions. The emotions as you came through that final, uh, you know, you came through that final beam, you'd completed the final stage, and it, you you realised, yeah, I, I have come from TSD to Targa winner. There must have been an awful lot of emotion going on there. I think, um, yeah, I mean, firstly, that the finish up Mount Buller, like, that's probably the best stage in the whole championship. And then to have it be the final stage of that event, uh, you know, I think that's kind of a special thing, like coming up the mountain uh, to, to finish off a rally. Uh, I'm sure everyone else who competed at, at High Country would, would say the same thing, like, you couldn't ask for a better stage to finish a rally and, uh, you know, just getting across the line at the end, regardless of your finishing position, if you've had a good stage, you're super pumped and excited anyway uh, because you've just had, you know, a really good time doing something that you're really passionate about and that you love. Uh, but then, yeah, you add on top of that the, I guess there's the the elation and, and the joy of, uh, not just having a great stage and that particular uh, last stage for us was probably the best stage that we've ever done. We thought we'd gone faster, but turns out we hadn't. Apparently that's <laughs> common. Uh, you don't tend to go faster on your second run uh, up Mount Buller, but um, uh, yeah. And then add on, you know, it, it, it was just pretty overwhelming. Uh I'm, you know, it's not immediately on your mind all the things that you've been through to get there because yeah. I think we were just focused on what we, you know, we realised pretty quickly uh, on day one that, oh, yeah, we're actually doing really well and, you know, we're capable of uh, getting a really good result here. You don't you try not to think too far ahead uh, because, like we spoke about before, that's not the right kind of mentality to have when you're in, in an event. Uh but yeah, I think the the focus was really just to keep it going uh, in the same way that we had been from the beginning of the event. Uh, and you know, the real danger was those long stages. And once we'd gotten through those long stages, I mean, the end of Eildon, uh, uh, the car is just so hot, and the tires so hot, and pressure so high. Uh, you know, you convince yourself that um, it's only you that's losing time from sliding the car around and not having any grip uh, because everything feels like it's only happening to you. But you have to remember <laughs> everyone else has, has the same things going on. But the last stage, uh, you know, we just felt really confident about that. Uh, and I just really wanted to enjoy it. Uh, and it was a bit of a celebration drive, really. Uh People, I, I think I put the um, the in car of that up on uh, up on um, you know, very social stuff, and uh, yeah, I mean you're obviously really committed, but mm. we were just locked in. It was one of those stages where you're just locked in, and it just feels amazing. So um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could see that. I could see that at, at the end of the stage, and I've watched some of the onboard and yeah, it's quite clear you're enjoying it, but you know, is, is it, is it, is it too much to say, Jeff, you know, I said, you've come from TSD through the ranks of Targa to win, to be a Targa winner. You know, we go back five years, six years previous to that, you know, uh, you know, this earth shattering diagnosis, the grueling treatment, you know, the then post treatment, recovery process, a year to get your driver's license back, five years to get your competitive license that you'd, you'd always wanted back, and then to go through the various stages. You know, when you had a quiet moment, did you think these are things that maybe at one point in my life I didn't think was possible? 
I mean, do you, do you think about it that way at all? Do, do you see yourself? As, I, I firmly see you as being an incredibly inspiring character. and uh, it's, it's an incredibly inspiring story. But I kind of get the feeling that you, you, you're so focused on the journey that you're on that maybe you don't spend too much time dwelling on the hardships of the past. No, I th- I, you're right. Uh, I am very focused on where I'm going. Uh, and, you know, I think I'm a very goal-oriented person and uh, doesn't really get you anywhere uh, every now and then, you know, you reflect back and think, oh, I remember when, uh, you know, the next, like even being able to drive a car would have been a dream come true. But I think it, it is easy for us to, wherever we're at in life, you know, take our current situation for granted um, and not and not really consider how fortunate we are to be um, in the position that we're in. Uh, but, yeah, you do, if, if I look back and, and think about where I've come from, uh, it has been a long journey uh, and, you know, I'm thankful for every single day. Uh, I remember when I was diagnosed, uh, I would, you know, the first thing on my mind was, will I even live to see my daughter be born? Once yeah. we found out a couple of days later we were pregnant. Uh, and then uh, after that, you're, you, you try not to think too far ahead because you've only got a certain visibility with this, you know, cloud hanging over you. Uh, and the reality with brain cancer is it's never really gone. Uh, so I'm still getting MRIs every six months. Um, fortunately, uh, everything is completely stable, which means, you know, that I can continue to compete and so on. But I have an MRI, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Right. Uh, so it's not something that is ever really uh, gone. Uh, but all you can really do is get on, you know, take each day as it comes uh, and enjoy every moment for what it is because nothing's guaranteed in life. Even, even uh, you know, even if you, you're not living with a chronic health condition, anything can happen to anybody anytime. And I think a lot of people don't realise that. No, I, I absolutely concur with that. And, uh, you know, it was a lovely moment when we were talking to you after the, the champagne spray and, uh, you pointed out on your overalls, you know, you've got the constant reminder there, haven't you? Just, just, uh, you know, just above your heart on the overalls. Just tell us what that, that little emblem is you've got there. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, I, in, when I had the white Lotus, uh, I was carrying some, uh, some signage on that for a period of time, which was for cure brain cancer foundation, uh, which is an organization here in Australia that, uh, funds a lot of research into um, various different types of brain cancer. Uh, and uh, I don't have that on uh, my new car, but when I got my overalls done on my race suit, uh, I, I wanted to put that on my, uh, yeah, just on, on my heart, my race suit. Uh, I feel very strongly that, uh, you know, just like I did, I mean, people are getting diagnosed with brain cancer um, all the time. Uh, and it's it's the number one killer of, uh, not many people know this, it's the number one killer, like cancer killer for people under 40. Wow. Uh, uh, and the, the biggest thing that happens to you when you're first diagnosed is, bam, your license is gone because obviously it's in your brain and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and so, you know, for a lot of people, their license is their independence. Uh, and uh, I just hope that, you know, what I've been able to go through, uh, um, you know, if I can inspire um, people who are recently diagnosed with, with brain cancer that oh, this is not the end, uh, you can, you know, you, you've got a future ahead of you um, and everyone's outcomes are going to be different. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not a great result. Uh, but just because you've been diagnosed doesn't mean that uh, your life is over uh, and, you know, that you should give up on life uh, or even give up on, you know, give up on driving again in my case. But um, yeah, I, to be able to go on and, you know, get back to a driving, but B being able to do it at a competitive level. And, you know, for me now being able to get to the pinnacle of, you know, my chosen uh, area in motorsport. Uh, I, I, like I couldn't even believe that that, uh, was possible, you know, only, um, 
if if I knew that that was God's plan for my life <laughs> when I was diagnosed, I wouldn't have believed it. No, no, uh, it, it is, it is, it is an inspiring story, Jeff, and and one that I think a lot of people will, will take heart from, and a lot of people uh, will enjoy hearing about. And that there's one more step to go, uh, at least one more step to go, I suspect, and that's Target Tasmania for you. I, I'm not betting against you. I'm not betting against you achieving anything that you set your mind to. Yeah, it's certainly going to be uh, more challenging than it it otherwise would have been with some of the regulation changes. Uh, I don't think any of them are really in our favour, unfortunately, with the car that we current that I'm currently running. Uh, but you never know what can happen uh, at, at a Target Tasmania. Most of the time, uh, whoever the the favourites are, that doesn't end up being the results. So it's just so unpredictable. Uh, and you know what I've learned over the the years that I've I've finished every event that I've I've been there, not always winning, but you know generally at the front of the whatever the competition that I'm in and you you just need to be there you um uh if you've got a reliable car and uh you can stay towards the front you never know what will happen that's absolutely right particularly on Tasmania Jeff uh, you know that's 50 minutes would you believe 50 minutes of, of wonderful rally talk and wonderfully inspiring talk. Uh, if any of our listeners want to find out a little bit more about, about you, about your story, about your rallying, where do they find you on social media? You, you're on Facebook, aren't you? Is it- yeah, I've got um, uh, Facebook and also Instagram. It's the same handle. Uh, it's Jeff Morton Racing, with a J, J-E-F-F Morton, M-O-R-T-O-N Racing, uh, on either Instagram or Facebook. Uh, and yeah that's where all of my social stuff is and if you have a look at the targa youtube channel there's plenty of video coverage there of jeff listen i would highly recommend that you go to jeff morton racing on as jeff said their instagram and facebook and and have a look and give them a like because uh, it's a great story and it's a story that as i say i think is far from over i think we're going to see lots more success jeff uh, it's been an absolute honor to talk to you today on spin the rally pod i really appreciate you giving up your time to talk to us jeff morton thank you very much indeed that's a pleasure colin thank you